Hello, welcome to the Weight Endurance Podcast, formerly known as the Session 6 Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Waite, sitting across the table from Kathy Waite. Hi, everybody. <laughs> um, this podcast is brought to you by our 2020 Base Builder Program. It's our 15th year going through this uh, process, taking you through, well, actually, it's our first year of the podcast, taking you through our annual off-season base training thought processes and training progressions to make you a fitter and faster rider by spring. Uh, but it is the 15th year of us doing this, I guess me doing it, and you've been involved for Oh, yeah, I think maybe my 10, 10th year, year of doing yeah. the program. 10 years, yeah. Um, so we've been at it a long time here. And we're closing in... We have uh, two more weeks to go of actual base builder, mm-hmm. and then we get a little recovery week, if you're following our program to the to the letter, to the week, um, and then we come back and get into some race prep, because racing season's almost here. Yeah. It is, yeah. Um, actually, yesterday I was over at Cascade PT getting a little dry needling done. Okay, love those guys. Uh, Justin? Yeah. Or? yeah, I was seeing Justin Dudley, the owner, Okay. and he was asking when we were starting our race season. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, it's actually around the corner. Yeah, I mean... With the Cactus Cup. Yeah, we're going to kick ours off with the Cactus Cup, which is in Arizona, Phoenix area. It's Um, actually like one one month from tomorrow, date-wise, right? I think you're right. Yeah, one month from this weekend. About four weeks, so... Holy moly. Right around the corner. Um, Yeah, and then Sophia and I will be heading over to California for the UCI Junior race there in Benelli, which is in the Mm -hmm. Los Angeles area. Um... So, yeah, and yeah, I had to make coming. a decision if I was going to... I knew that I wasn't going to go on the whole trip with you guys because I just can't be gone that long. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a little debate, like, do I want to do the Benelli race and start getting some points for, towards nationals in the summer, or do I want to go to Arizona and do the Cactus Cup? And, if, yeah, it just came down to a couple of things, like convenience of travel and cost of the flights, but mostly the decision was made just based on like wanting to race in McDowell State Park in, in Arizona. Yeah, the race like, you wanted. Yeah, yeah I, I'm it's more, more fun. Com- it's more fun. I'm more yeah. comfortable. I haven't raced in a year. And the thought of easing back into it, like mm. like I'm a, kind of like a home ground. A familiar yeah, course. Familiar yeah, familiar course seemed more fun and less um, stressful than jumping into a California race with these California girls that are going to be in probably better shape. And, yeah. Um, well, the Arizona people will be too. Yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. But I'm just so much more comfortable with that course that I think that's what it yeah. came down to. Oh, that makes perfect sense for sure. Yeah. I mean, just the format of the Cactus Cup. And like you said, we, we know the trail that's in McDowell Mountain Park. Anyone familiar with the Phoenix area? And when we go down there, which we do frequently over the winter months, we always ride there a couple yeah, of times. Yeah, it's like my happy place. Yeah. So that'll be our first race, um, kicking things off. So um, at any rate, we're on to episode 28 of this podcast. So thanks for tuning in, listening. Um, hopefully you're uh, enjoying what we're producing here. And if, if so, give us please give us a five-star rating on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Um, if you don't think we're deserving of the five stars... Uh, How dare you? Let us know <laughs> what we can do to improve. We, we want your five <laughs> stars. So we're trying to... Boosted up. I think we're getting close to like 30 ratings. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think people just forget. Like, they yeah. hear us say that and then they get to the end of the podcast and go on their, right. their lives. So maybe pause right now. Go to the app. Actually, you can do it. Why am I saying pause? You can just pick up your phone and do it. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're driving, I guess. But just do it. Give us a rating. We'd, we'd really appreciate it. It helps us. And then if you really want to be extra special to us, you can leave a little review. And it doesn't have to be anything amazing, but um, those, thing, those things help us... Uh, kind of rank higher in the search mm-hmm. engines and get us kind of improve our audience reach. So um, so this week's episode 28, we want to talk about the last block of this year's base builder program. We get into anaerobic power intervals. So those are the really short, really powerful ones with a bit more recovery. Honestly, these are probably my favorite workouts mm. Within the base builder, but we also do them throughout race prep and throughout the racing season mm-hmm. as well at different points. Um, and I, I love these. These ones are like fast and hard and fun, and but it's, they're not like quote unquote torturous like VO2s and the 32 minute power <laughs> ones and things can be. I would agree with you. <laughs> and we're sitting here recording this in our basement knowing that in two hours we'll be doing a VO2 max interval session at, the, at our training facility. 
and my armpits are sweating thinking about it. <laughs> thinking about the VO2s, <laughs> yeah. the final VO2s. If it's gonna, yeah, it's Thursday. I'm kind of tired. With short rests, short recoveries. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a tough one. Um, so yeah, so the coming couple of weeks, anaerobic power is on the menu. So we want to talk a lot about that and then sort of piggybacking off of that, talking specifically about uh, what we'll be doing next week in the second to last week of the Base Builder Program, okay. week 26. Um, but before that, like, what, what have we been up to? Yeah. Well, you, you know what I've been up to. Let's see. We <laughs> had a good training week last week, and then you and I um, got away from uh, downtown Denver for an overnight for our anniversary. Yeah. We've Happy had a w- eighth anniversary eighth, to us. Eighth wedding anniversary. Yeah. We've eighth been annual. together for 12 years, but that was our eighth wedding anniversary. So we tried to get away and um, do some hotel stays downtown once in a while. And it was great. We, I think we needed that together time. Because yeah. We, I was looking forward to it like the entire week. We're really proud for two weeks going into it. Yeah. For many reasons, like just to rest and relax and indulge in a get good away, meal. Get away, so to speak. Yeah, I realized while we were sitting there at dinner that we've just had too many months of being business partners and training partners and not enough time just being together. To so, disconnect. Yeah, from, that yeah. was really fun. And that's one of the challenges, I think, owning your own business, a small business like ours where it's you and me. I mean, we run we run weight endurance and, and used to run session six. And um, it's like there's a lot of benefits. Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't do it any other way to owning your own business. But... Um, you basically never get, or rarely get, like a day <laughs> off where you don't have to think about or do something related to the business. Right. And even that wasn't, arguably, it wasn't really a full day off because we yeah. tested a new athlete in the gym before, yes. like around noon, before going downtown. And then we were back home. Because well, oh, we it was a Sunday night. Yeah, yeah so, so we, then we were back to the gym coaching by noon the next day. It's so, okay. Well, we'll take the 18 <laughs> hours we had. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was super fun. Um, and yeah, we live in a suburb of Denver and so it's cool. We took the light rail right from the gym, actually right close to the gym. And, uh, it's a quick little 30 minute light rail trip to the heart of downtown. And then, um, we found a really cool hotel we wanted to check out for like a year. Yeah, it was beautiful. We should tell everybody the name. The Bourne. The Bourne. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, we, I would call it like rustic Scandinavian. Mm-hmm. Would, would that yeah, it's modern. It's a new hotel. I feel like it's maybe a little over a year old. It's uh, like actual so, yeah. construction built. Um, so it's brand new construction, relative, and yeah, super modern, Scandinavian. Um, and it was, yeah, just great. And then we had a great dinner in the hotel restaurant, which was amazing. And fun breakfast at our favorite downtown breakfast place called the Mercantile. Um at Union Station, um, when we walked over and got a nice coffee and pastry earlier yeah, in the morning. Yeah, we were so breakfast. full of food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, there you go. There's our little romantic weekend getaway, but it yeah. was it was fun. And it's good. I think when we're deep into a hard training block, you know, thinking about scheduling a day off, whether it just be a day off from training or a, a quote unquote getaway like this, pays dividends. Because honestly, I came back this week, and. I was dreading the Tuesday VO2s, but I, like, nailed them. I did amazing. And it's sort of like, oh, yeah, like, I took a day off on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it does wonders for you come Tuesday. So Hmm, uh, That reminds me of the text messages you got from one of our WeDevo athletes, Jack. Jack Anything, yesterday. Yesterday. Oh, Jack Anything, yeah. Um, They don't have school tomorrow because it's president's day weekend they they get a four-day weekend and he was begging you slash whining that he wanted to uh, do a lot they wanted to do a long ride tomorrow right because it's gonna be warm here finally yeah probably still sloppy outside but warm and you said no you can have a rest day tomorrow because let's let's nail the the big ride on saturday and you guys went back and forth for quite a while Mm -hmm. um yeah, just talk about that a little bit. Like these kids are so hardworking, and they love to ride their bikes. They're yeah. passionate about riding their bikes, and our job, as we've said a couple times before, just is not to tell them to go train. They don't have a problem doing that. Yeah. we have to tell them to slow down, to rest. Yeah, to we recover. rarely have to tell them to go harder. It's yeah. more like you need to go slower, or you need to take a day off, or mm-hmm. whatever. And that's what we do more of it it definitely seems like is reining them in rather than pushing them yeah where oftentimes the adult athletes it's the other way around you gotta like kick them in the butt to get on the trainer and um do that but yeah i mean the 
even though you, it's going to be a nice day and you have the day off school, it's like I told him instead of a long ride, why don't you take a nap? That would be a great idea. <laughs> I love their enthusiasm and their commitment and their they're just like passion for wanting to be on their bikes. But yeah. we have to help them see the big picture that we want them fresh and healthy and motivated in, in June and July. Yeah, I told them in the text that like you're just you're getting too fit too fast, and which is like cool in one way, but also we need to pace ourselves because even though we're racing somewhat soon, the really important races and things we're peaking for and stuff are still quite a ways away. So um, right now in this high intensity VO2 going into anaerobic power, block of training Mm -hmm. you know we said it talked about this in the last podcast you got to back down the volume the longer rides you know add in more recovery so you can really nail these high output workouts and get that training stimulus where you can adapt and absorb that and then um, upon the end of this we'll come back and we'll definitely build back in those long rides combined with some intensity Mm -hmm. when we get into the race prep training which is the next block coming up so um so yeah, but I'd much rather have athletes that you have to rein in rather than like push them out the door. Yeah. So um, these kids are so awesome. It's great. Yeah. Um, oh, and then also we're halfway through the month of February, which uh, we've deemed Share the Love Month. Um, I can't take full credit for coming up with that. I guess <laughs> it's not that original either, common, but but it is the thing. the month of Valentine's Day and love, and we're doing a fundraising campaign for the We Devo team. Uh, which is a nonprofit registered in the state of Colorado. Yep, we're nonprofit 501c3 this year, which is awesome. It's really helped us gain some additional donations and slash sponsorships from from uh, some corporations. Um, but also, it could help individuals if you are wanting to donate um, to the team. We have th- uh, what four different price levels you can donate: twenty five dollars, fifty dollars, hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, and of course, any amount above that is obviously accepted. But those four intervals get you some we swag. We yeah, we devo swag. I think you posted pictures of the the items, and they're on our website. But yeah, real quickly, there's a, a really cool like die cut sticker that you can put on a notebook, a, a car window, a water bottle. That's the twenty five dollar level. The fifty dollar level is a is the sticker plus a beautiful. Um, and really good quality specialized purist water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> waddle bottle. <laughs> like I a duck. Yeah, <laughs> that's Jack's spirit animal. Water bottle. Okay, I got it out. Water bottle. And then $100, you get the bottle, the sticker, and a Wee Devo t shirt. It's a tri blend, it's really comfortable. And the $200 level, it gets those three things plus a hoodie. Right, a really that's nice a like, really nice quality hoodie. Yeah. Yeah, nice hoodie sweatshirt, and that has the We Diva logo too. So, so I do owe some um, tax receipts to a few donors already, and I will send you that via email. I will also ask you your um, clothing sizes when you donate, because that's not like part of the donation screen. So, on PayPal, yeah, on yeah. PayPal. So, I w- you'll get an email from me, and just a big shout out already to the very generous donors. We've had some. Surprisingly generous. Yeah, thank you so much. Like this money is going to be used well and thoughtfully to offset travel and race expenses for the whole team. Um, It's very appreciated by us and by the families. Yeah, this is an expensive sport. Yeah, especially for these families, you know, to have to buy the kids a five thousand dollar bike or more and. Race fees add up and yeah. travel expenses They're add up. They're getting to some big races across the country. Yeah, a lot of travel and, yeah. uh, expenses and things like that. So, yeah, all your donations are greatly appreciated, no matter how big or how small. Um, and, um, yeah, but share the love, and we thank you for it. Um, all right, let's get into some questions. I've got a couple this week pertaining yes. to recent and upcoming training. A couple good ones here. Training. All right, the first one comes from our friend Jack Boltz. And uh, he sent a few questions in, which he references at the end of his email. He said, if I've reached my allotment of questions, please let me know. <laughs> no, Jack, it's great. I love the interaction, love the involvement. And thank you for another really good um, email with two questions in it. And he writes, hello, Cody and Kathy. I have a question about deadlifting. What do you guys think about deadlifting with a straight Olympic bar versus a trap bar or a hex bar? The trap bar being where you stand inside the bar with your palms facing the sides of your body versus palms facing the front of your body with an Olympic bar. Personally, I like the trap bar better. It just seems more comfortable and natural. Do you want to answer that one first before we read the second part? Uh, sure. 
So I guess we can both chime in, but yeah, um, this is a really good question. Yeah, so the hex bar or trap bar or trap bar. Yeah, it, the reason they call it hex bar is it's basically like this hexagon pipe. The bar is like mm-hmm. shaped in a hexagon, and you stand in the middle of the hexagon, and then out of the ends, kind of where in line with like your knees roughly or your shins yeah. coming out is like where you load the plates on so that's why it's called the hex bar um i don't have any problem with hex bar versus straight bar i mean there are some differences between the two and you can probably chime in on this as well but it in in a nutshell um the hex bar to me the way i look at it is it's almost like a combination of a squat and a deadlift mm-hmm so by standing inside the, the hexagon, rather than having a straight bar going across the front of your shins like you would for a traditional deadlift, um, you're able to kind of drop at the knees a little bit more. Um, and when you stand up and deadlift this bar, you're almost starting as a squat mm-hmm. and then turning into a hip hinge at the t- top. Right. So it's kind of a combo, it's a mix of a squat and a deadlift movement. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, um, I personally, I bought one, we have one in our gym, or our gym here at home in the garage um, for that very reason because going into like race prep mode when we're only lifting maybe once a week, um, I like, I'm just experimenting. I like the idea of like instead of doing <clears throat> back squat one week, deadlift one week as maintenance Mm -hmm. if I just do the hex bar deadlift it's like I'm getting the squat and the deadlift done and I can do it once a week at Mm -hmm. the same time it's kind of my thought so I'm just kind of experimenting and playing with it well I've never well yeah I've never used the hex bar trap bar um because we have one at the gym we have one at the gym yeah I've all I was trained and taught um on a traditional olympic style barbell um with that said uh, I have watched the um we devo young guys use the the hex bar and it just works better for them mm-hmm. um they're able to engage their lats their traps maybe that's why it's called a trap bar they're able to engage their upper back mid back low back muscles better to keep better and safer body position for the movement than trying to navigate and negotiate being over this this straight Olympic bar in front it's of their sort shins. Sort of out front somewhat. Yeah, yeah, so like, and Jack references that. He said that he thinks the trap bar f- feels more comfortable and natural. I agree with you, Jack. I, I think for those who are less experienced with barbell lifts, the trap bar works better. Yeah. And um, It's probably the, a little safer. I, I think so. Yeah. Like, th- these, but, the boys are just able to hold their shoulders back. That's the primary reason. They, right. They're more comfortable. They're more natural. I'm not worried about them, like, rounding or making that turtle back which is the tendency with a straight bar in front of your shins Mm -hmm. out front especially for newer lifters is they'll want to round the shoulders a little bit yeah so if you have a hex bar a trap bar use it i think it's a a great option um you're you're getting an amazing workout with that bar yeah and i think the potential for safety is much much better so a couple things i've noticed is the some of the hex bar trap bar lifting and trap bar by the way the reason they call it trap bar is because Weightlifters um, will do trap like basically shrugs oh, with it. I never knew. Why so they'll lift it up. So yeah. I think you can get a lot. It's easier and more comfortable to have a heavy weights on it and do like shoulder shrugs okay. for your traps um, with that style of bar. Because again, it's like you don't have the bar going across the front of your body if you were standing up holding yeah. it, and you're inside and you can just do heavy shrugs. I think okay. uh, which works the trap. So I think that's where that comes from. Um, one thing I have noticed is. With the trap bar, because there's a little less of the hinge motion, the mm-hmm. hip hinge, you you definitely don't get the same hamstring uh, training or That's true. activation and you know gains there that you do with the traditional straight bar deadlift. Um, and then again, the postural awareness you can be less aware, I guess. It's easier mm-hmm. in a sense, like you don't have to be as focused on all the postural movements of the deadlift so therefore it is safer but you're maybe not getting quite the same hip hinge and definitely not the same um hamstring that's true the, the quads are being recruited a little bit more, more like a squat in it like yeah than, yeah. than in a tra- traditional uh, setup and so you won't feel it in your hamstrings as much in fact when i'm coaching people on how to do a deadlift with a traditional bar i will say something like 
you should feel tension in your hamstrings before you lift the right. bar. And if you don't feel tension in your hamstrings, stop and look down because probably your knees are over the bar. Right. And when your knees come over the barbell, you've released the tension, the appropriate, the needed t- tension on the hamstrings. Yeah. Now, that's the position in a hex bar, a trap bar. You you have your knees more forward, and you're not going to feel the hamstring tension. Right, because you're in a more of a squat-like right. starting right. position. Right, so, yeah, yeah. There's it's, pluses and minuses. There's pluses and minuses, yeah. but Jack, if you feel more comfortable with the, the trap bar, go for it. And I think that's the biggest takeaway. Go with mm-hmm. what feels comfortable and, you know, work up towards a straight bar deadlift or periodize it. You know, do you like your heavier fall weightlifting with the straight bar? Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I'm starting to do, and then move to the trap bar um, for like the later, the second build of the strength. Um, so different ways to go about it. Yeah. All right. I'm going to move on to the second part of Jack's email. Okay. Yeah. So he says, and the other question I have is, um, regarding doing Mac VO2 max intervals with a dumb trainer, a traditional trainer, a non-smart trainer. I'm starting block two of the base builder program next week. And I see there are two different levels of VO2 max intervals. One at your eight minute power for a two minute interval and the other for your for your 16 minute power for four minutes. Is there an RPE range, um, rate of perceived effort exertion. or exertion? Yep. I should be in to do these, or just a hard effort for both two and four minutes. I assume heart rate would not be a good indicator of effort for these shorter intervals. Thanks again. You guys are great. Okay, so his question is basically: I don't have a power meter. I don't yep. have power. I don't have a smart trainer. So how? To, what's the best way to kind of go about this? RPE definitely can work. Um, I mean, in fact, I tell people in class, like, this should be like a 9 out of 10 effort mm-hmm. for VO2s. Now, the first one of each set might not feel quite like a 9 because it kind of catches up with you. But um, in general, 9 out of 10 effort. Um, and then, Jack, you are correct that the shorter the interval, the, the less effective the use of heart rate becomes for sort of pacing the interval because there's always a lag in heart rate to kind of catch up to the work effort. However, I still think it's useful and beneficial to use heart rate um, and VO2s um, with the idea of like you're basically trying to get up to right around 92%, give or take, of your max heart rate and spend as much time at that level as possible because that equates roughly to that VO2 max energy system where you're, you're breathing basically every second you know, maximum oxygen uptake, which we talked about in episode 26, I think it was, all about um, the VO2 intervals. Um, so go by RPE if you don't have power, and then also reference heart rate, particularly as each interval goes by and then as each, like, minute within the interval goes by. Because it will take, depending on the individual, at least a minute, sometimes two minutes, for your heart rate to kind of catch up to the effort. Um, and in the case of a two-minute interval, it might not be till the end of the interval. In the four-minute one, a little longer, right, right. it's a little more. So if he's on a traditional trainer and he has a cadence sensor, he'd be able to also keep note of like his average speed for the two or four minutes? If he has a speed sensor. Oh, a speed. That's different than a cadence. Yeah. Right? Okay. Cadence is just on your crank, measuring your pedal speed. Okay, so he if he has a speed sensor, he could kind of judge that, oh, on this two-minute interval, I was averaging 24 Excellent. miles per hour. Okay. And so that's that could be one way to help him get into that right power yeah. output. Well, especially maybe from one workout to the next, that could okay. potentially, as long as you're keeping all variables as close as possible, like tire pressure um, and things like that, you can, if he figures out through a workout or two that, yeah, I know it like you said, 24 miles per hour wheel speed and 85 RPM cadence together gets me that 92% of max heart rate, my 9 out of 10, um, you know, into the workout, Mm -hmm. then those would correlate to the next workout. Assuming you're in the same gear, tire pressure is the same, you know, all these other variables are basically the same. Then he could then start his next workout and just know I need 80, this gear, 85 RPM, mm-hmm. 24 miles per hour on the speedometer, and that would equate to a power. We just don't know what it is. It's right. just not giving you that reading. Well, we used to have to do these workouts like that, so I was trying to put myself back five yeah, years ago a, how was, we did it. That was smart thinking. But yeah, that is very much how we used to do it. Before we had power 
numbers that told us exactly what power we were at. It was, you always wanted to keep your tire pressure the same and then think about, remember what gear you did what in Mm -hmm. and know if you can do the same gear, the same cadence and go, or same cadence at a bigger gear, you're doing more power or same gear, same cadence, you're doing the same power as last week, you know, that kind of thing. So there is some, uh, control there. Yeah. You know, when we were doing the workout on Tuesday in the gym that we, we, were, we were doing the VO2 max intervals, I closed my eyes for most of them this week because I didn't want to get so obsessed with looking at my data on my head unit. Right. I wanted to kind of pretend more like I was old school or outside, which is funny since my eyes like were closed, but like more in tune with my body. Yeah. So, you know, maybe Jack could think about that too. It's like close your eyes and just kind of go hard and think about like what it feels like in your body to go really yeah. hard for two minutes or go really hard for four. That's a great tip. Because that's that, more what we're doing outside oh, anyway. Yeah. Right. And when we're racing, because we can't just stare at our computer, especially mountain bike racing in particular, you have to, and I think that's a great tip for any of the intervals we're doing is like start associating if you haven't already, like, okay, this is the power output, the effort I'm doing, this is what it feels like. Because mm-hmm. then when you do go outside, if you have power or not, you can associate those feelings and, you know, I mean, it's different indoors to out and all that, but it's still like learning how to be in tune with your body. Right. And that's something that I'll take for granted because I've been doing this for 20 years that I, I mean, I don't, I almost don't need a power meter. I almost don't need a heart rate monitor. I can go do a given effort and I know within a pretty narrow range of where I'm at, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're probably getting there being, having done this for eight or 10 years now. And yeah. But th- someone who's been doing this for one or two or three years still needs to put all those connections together. So. Well, I i don't think of myself as like a, a data person or like a kind of like an analytical geek like that. Mm-hmm. But I do like the numbers. I, I appreciate being on the smart trainer. And I, I found myself on Tuesday, especially kind of getting obsessed with like hitting all these numbers. And I thought to myself for a second, like, this is too much. Like, I need to just close my eyes mm-hmm. and ride my bike and feel what it feels like to push it hard and, and maybe I can do more than I think I can, but I'm getting so nervous about my numbers that I'm not just being in the moment. Okay. Yeah. So it was kind of cool, especially on that last of the four minutes, I just closed my eyes and I was really uncomfortable and kind of needing to zone out the extra stimulation of the, of the room and the, and the people and the noise. But I just like got into it and it was my best one. It was, it was actually kind of amazing. Right. Right. Yeah. It's good. It's cool. Um, Okay, so hopefully that helps Jack. Yeah, out. and you and I were gonna were we gonna talk about any more tips on doing those intervals or any more thoughts from this week or do you feel like we've covered if that? There's enough? other. We covered a lot of that yeah. last week. Well, no, no other tips from Tuesday when you did the I workout. I can't think of any. Okay, well you were crushing <laughs> it. I think you were pretty excited about how good you felt. Yeah, I felt really good. So knock on wood. Hopefully I'll feel good in a few hours here. <laughs> yeah, well I know because the the rest intervals are cutting down. So. Whew. A little nervous. Okay, our last question, our second question of the day is from Wes Hayes, and he has sent in a few questions before, and I also want to just say a huge thank you to him. He was one of those generous donors that um, surprised us this week. Oh, right. And, yeah. Um, yeah, thank you, Wes. Wes, thank you so much. I, it was really, really kind of you, and I will be sending you an, an email with a tax receipt and asking you about your clothing sizes. All right, here's the email. Hey, Cody, hope all is well. I will try to keep this short and sweet. The Core clothes fits like a glove. Wow. That's cool to hear. Cool. Yeah, he got a, a kit and he's loving it. We yeah. love our Core Yeah, we stuff. do too. Um, number two, I don't think I am going to do Leadville this year. It's just too big a commitment and my family and work life is too busy. I think I'm going to target the stage race though to get corral position for 2021. Okay. I would like to focus more on cross country. Just need to figure out which races. I need to list some. Vail, GoPro, Winter Park... Um, XC stage event, pre-nationals, not sure what, what else. Any thoughts would be greatly appreciated on the best options that are in Colorado and or drivable. Let's, let's talk about that real quick. We'll finish mm-hmm. the last part. Um, first of all, I love the stage race. So go for it, Wes. Like, I love, the love, love the Leadville stage race. It was so fun and it was a much less intimidating way for me to like jump into the idea of doing Leadville. Mm-hmm. You get to experience the course and you'll get a good result that'll help you get mm-hmm. in a better corral for next year and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, so I think that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Um, 
Well, we love the Vail GoPro games. We love Winter Park Racing. Uh, what else did you tell them when you when you, when you wrote them back? Um, I forget. This was a week or two ago. Um, but yeah, Winter Parks. There's some others here in Denver. Yeah. Um, He's a Colorado guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, well, there's so many great options. That's the fun part about living in Colorado. Yeah. I gave him a bit of a list, I think, okay. to look at. I just can't remember. All right. Awesome. Um, any thoughts on that? Should I move on? No. I mean, other than I think it's a great idea that you're evaluating your life coming up for these next several months and identifying that it's just not going to be optimal for a good mm-hmm. Leadville preparation. So kudos to you. Not everyone's able to do that, and they kind of force things and then disappoint themselves in one area or the other. So I think it's a, a very wise move. So Yeah, that's good. Yeah. All right, the last part is more of the technical question on okay. training. So it's it's heart rate versus power. He says, I just started the week 11, the anaerobic stuff. I need to understand whether to target power or heart rate. If I target the prescribed power, my heart rate is too low. But if I try to get my heart rate up to the right area, my power is way over. I wonder if the fatigue rate discount is a little too big for me at this point. I'll keep at it for a couple weeks and see if I am consistently uh, on this heart rate power relationship. Okay. So he's talking, and this is why I saved this question for this week. He's um, going into basically what we're going into. Um which is the anaerobic power intervals. <clears throat> and he's finding out that um, if he, from his question, it sounds like if he, if he does the prescribed power, it, his heart rate isn't getting as high as it should, mm-hmm. or as high as he thinks it should. Um, but then if he, did he say like, if I get my heart rate up, then he's yeah, doing then his power quite is a way bit more too much. power. Yeah. Okay. So a couple things are happening here, most likely. One is, Anaerobic power intervals are much shorter, and we'll talk a little bit more about this here momentarily, but they're much shorter, therefore the heart rate lags, just Mm. like we explained in Jack's question. Um, So it's quite often the case your heart rate won't get up particularly high, or as high as you think, like based on the power. Or as high as it was in this block, the VO2 max Yeah, because the VO2s are long enough at a high enough power that your heart rate gets quite high. These, especially the shorter 15-second, 30-second intervals, your heart rate, even though you're putting out tons of power, and on paper you're like, wow, this is going to be super hard, they're so short that your heart rate you know, maybe catches up, if it even does, by the end of the 15 or 30 seconds. Um, so that's probably what's going on. So you know, I would say stick with the power, the prescribed power, Okay. and um, don't worry so much about heart rate within the like governing guidelines of the work that you're doing. Okay. This is definitely more when we when we talk when we're doing anaerobic power, the focus is on the power as opposed to the heart rate. So, okay. when we did all the aerobic stuff, the focus was very much on the heart rate. Mm-hmm. And then when we were doing this kind of in between like anaerobic threshold VO2 work, it was a combo of both. Like we started out power was the focus, particularly in the beginning of the workout or the beginning of the intervals to help us pace and then we still had kind of a heart rate governor on there to not go too hard and help us pace the end. Um, now we're kind of at the end of the energy system chain, so to speak, on the bike anyway, um, short of the peak power sprints that we'll do when we come back after the break. But um, these are like where heart rate, you still will keep an eye on it. You'll still reference it, but the intervals are so short, there's really no need to have a governor. So just focus on the power. Okay. And get the power done. And don't think like, oh, I have to get my heart rate to 92% or whatever. That That's not the case in these. Okay. Yeah. Um, and is the case that you would have to back off if your heart rate gets too high or, or not? You just go for it because the interval is so short. More or less go for it. Okay. Exactly that. Because, it, I mean, in the, pick, you know, in the scheme of, let's say, this hour and 10-minute workout, um, if you're doing this on the trainer, you know, if you add it up, you're only doing one minute worth of one minute power work and then two minutes worth of two minute power work and four minutes worth. So that's only seven minutes of high intensity work. So it's actually difficult to like overload yourself in these where the other stuff we have been doing the last several weeks, there was many more minutes and potential strain and stress load. Okay. So again, go by power and RPE is also helpful. That should definitely be getting close to a 10. Um, you know, the fifth, I mean, they're all pretty much within reason as hard as you can go. They're not like full on like sprints, but... Um, but very strong efforts. They're very, very strong efforts, yeah, okay. to, to get through them. 
All right, cool. Thanks, Wes, for the question. Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, yeah, so if, if we love the questions, like Kathy said earlier, so if you have any, send us. You can go on our forum, on our website, weightendurance.com forward slash forum, or find the forum in the drop-down menu, um, or just email them directly to either one of us, Cody at teamweight.com or Kathy at teamweight.com. And we'll have the links in the uh, show notes, so you don't have to remember that. Um, but yeah, send us questions. Um, we love getting them and answering them and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, sparks conversations. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's move on to the anaerobic power intervals. So kind of piggybacking off of what we just were talking about. Um, all right, so anaerobic power correlates to our one-minute to four-minute maximum power output. Okay? So if you've been following our plan, those numbers, one minute and four minutes, should ring a bell. That's where we test mm -hmm. at for our, uh, we do our anaerobic intervals. We do a four-minute max effort test, a lot of rest, and then a one-minute max effort test. So we know exactly what our one and four-minute powers are, our capabilities currently, based off of our test. Um, and that's what we're going to be training. Um, anaerobic power intervals or the anaerobic power energy system is still, regardless of the name, is still very much a large aerobic contribution. Um, the word anaerobic is in there referencing that there's just a greater anaerobic contribution, if that makes sense. So a true anaerobic effort is lifting heavy weights um, or maybe doing like a five-second or less like sprint. Mm -hmm. um, essentially an activity of max output where you don't have to breathe is the way I think of it. <laughs> That's an anaerobic, true anaerobic, like 100% anaerobic. So these, we're still talking about one minute to four minute. And anyone who's done our four minute tests knows four minutes is still a pretty long time to go hard. Yeah, I think I have to breathe. And there's a huge aerobic demand, but relative to the aerobic threshold and anaerobic threshold and even VO2 max, um, there's a greater anaerobic contribution coming. Um, so this is where the stronger, like, sprint power athletes really like to shine. They usually like these intervals. Oh, but, John Sisk is going to love these. Yeah, yeah, John <laughs> Sisk will love them. Ironically, I love doing them. Um, Actually, just, I do too. From The actual power I'm producing isn't all that impressive, but um, <laughs> I still like doing them. Um, so this is the anaerobic power progression or energy system is, is sort of our last progression up in power because if, if you've been following our program – over the last like six, seven weeks, um, we've been every two weeks kind of upping the amount of power we're asking ourselves to do. Intervals are getting shorter as we do that. And this is the kind of the final one of what I call sustainable power, meaning where you have to kind of pace yourself to a little bit of a degree and you're going to hold still for 15 seconds to a minute these high power outputs. We will come back after the break and cap off the, the highest on-bike energy system, which is that peak power like sprinting basically mm -hmm. so we'll do a little bit of sprinting when we come back um but this is the last one of this block of like the highest sort of sustainable power um so we know these powers based on our four minute and one minute tests um so you should have your spreadsheet if you're following along because this is what we're training is our one to four minute power um now we are going to add um to get enough interval work in the workouts we are going to add some intervals at our calculated two-minute power. Okay. Um, several years back when we were doing this, we used to test, we had a one-minute, two-minute, and four-minute test. So it we could identify... so painful. Yeah, that way we could identify all three, one-minute, yeah. two-minute, four-minute. But we've since, a couple years ago, took the two-minute out because we felt like it fatigued us so much that it kind of skewed the numbers a little bit. It just wasn't necessary. Um, so to figure out your two-minute power um, is... Basically, you kind of take the middle point between your four min known four-minute power and known one-minute power um, and meet in the middle for two-minute power. You know, it's, it's our best way of kind of estimating without doing a two-minute max test. Um, and it works well. So, um, so we'll have those three points. Um, for those training um, ERG mode or as a percentage of FTP, all these numbers relate approximately to four minute power is roughly around 130% of FTP to give you to give those people an idea. 
two-minute power is roughly around 160%, and one-minute power is around 190%, give or take. And, of course, that'll vary a little bit depending on the athlete and their fatigue rate and uh, their capabilities if they're more of a sprint power athlete or more of a diesel engine endurance athlete. Um, but roughly 130, 160, and 190% correlates to the four-minute, two-minute, and one-minute power. So right, right. quite a bit of power. I mean, especially when you start seeing 160 and 190%, yeah. it's like, wow, that's a lot. Um, so these kind of efforts in real-world situations, like outdoor riding, um, these are the powers that a lot of times recreational cyclists rarely, if ever, hit these numbers. I mean, maybe four-minute power, like coming around a corner and they stand up and accelerate, you might hit around four-minute power briefly, um, but rarely do they hit it. These are definitely power numbers um, that occur in racing, mm -hmm. uh, but also in mountain biking, too. Even a recreational mountain biker, if there's a steep hill, you'll get into that, um, these higher intensities. But in general, I said this about VO2 as well, is VO2 and anaerobic power efforts within a race is usually where the race your race is like made or broken. Right, <laughs> uh, right. You either, you know, make the break or you don't, or you either make an attack that gets you off the front. Or, or you can't drop them. Yeah, or yeah. So it's, these are really key in racing scenarios, which is why we train them here. Um, and even if you're training more of a, like longer endurance or even a very steady state, like triathlon or time trial racing, these still do help boost your overall aerobic engine mm -hmm. um, and your ability to go harder and makes you more efficient at bike riding. Um, and if nothing else, it makes you know your FTP seem a little bit more manageable when you're doing intervals at 160% and 190% of it. Well, I would say if nothing else, it makes the training more interesting. And it makes training more interesting. Because if, you, if you're just going to plot along every trainer session or every outdoor session at that right. kind of 5 out of 10 effort, I think that'd be boring. I, this this kind of training is really fun, and it makes the hour, hour and a half fly by. Right. Yeah, they are really fun. Um, so I, I wanted to give just like a few examples, um, because when we start working with these top, top end, you know, one minute to four minute max power efforts, um, the calculating like the zones and percentages and things we're looking at starts getting a little skewed because these are max efforts that we've done in testing versus calculating so um i just wanted to like yeah, go through a go few through um to hopefully anyone following our program specifically will get maybe a hopefully better clear picture of what we're talking about here so um so i pulled up your numbers for example here um from your test hope you don't mind if i share them i nope, think this was actually good. in no november not december but okay. in, that doesn't matter um so your four-minute um, at that time was 278, 278 watts. Uh, your one-minute was 372 watts. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we kind of met in the middle and calculated your two-minute to be about 325 watts. So those would be the target powers. If you were going to do these outside um, mm -hmm. or with a non-erg um, mode situation, those would be the numbers that you'd be targeting um, within the intervals that, for this set. Um, now those based off of that four minute and one minute you had your fatigue rate came out to 6.32%, which is on the lower side and it equated to a 64 minute power of 214 Watts, which mm -hmm. correlates roughly with your FTP. If, um, that's what you put in for like training peaks to calculate TSS and everything. Um, to go to take these numbers and put, the percentages to them if you're going to train off of FTP because um, I guess maybe I'm getting slightly ahead of myself. So in the gym mm -hmm. and what we have in our workouts following our program is the is we will do these in ERG mode. Which is the first time we'll have used ERG mode for the main part of the workout yes. this year. Yes. Up to this point, we've been saying uh, we prefer slope or level mode to ERG mode because it's more like realistic where you have to you can pick your gear and your cadence and produce the watts how you want to produce them. Erg mode, on the other hand, is sort of like running on a treadmill where the device is controlling your load. Yeah. And it's based off a percentage of your FTP. And I haven't liked that, particularly with a group setting, but in general because it 
taking the percent off the FTP doesn't take into account, in my opinion as well, of like the diesel engine athlete versus the power athlete. It's going to not be quite as accurate, in my opinion, as our fatigue rate model. Okay, but so why maybe explain why we're going to do erg mode for this particular group workout. Yeah, so erg mode for this workout, because the way we do this um, indoors, because anaerobic power intervals, as the intervals get shorter and more powerful, we want to include more recovery in between, more uh, time, more seconds or minutes of recovery, so we can go hard again. Indoors, over the years, we've discovered that taking doing like a 15 second really hard interval and then taking 45 second recoveries was um, it made the workout almost like too easy mm-hmm. and perhaps even a little boring um, in, in an indoor situation. So what we discovered, we started doing this two or three years ago, at least two years ago, um, that if we did our hard 15 second interval and then had a partial recovery at 50%, power of the work interval Mm -hmm. it kept us way more engaged and we were able to still recover but we weren't just like sitting there noodling along we were still getting some work in recovering and then coming around to the next interval right right so it did make the workouts a little bit more challenging um but it took a workout that wasn't as challenging as it maybe should have been indoors versus Mm -hmm. outdoors and made it, in my opinion, more comparable to the outdoor version of the workout. Yeah, I Does agree. That make yeah, sense? I agree with you. Um, so outdoors, we would ha- say do the, uh, in your case, you know, three hundred seventy-two watts for fifteen seconds up a hill, and then turn around and take your forty-five seconds to come back down the hill, circle around, and get ready for the next one. And you get right. kind of full recovery because you're just coasting down the hill. But in indoors, you would do your uh, in erg mode. 15 seconds at 190%, then you'd have 45 seconds where the trainer lightens up to um, 95%. 95% of that FTP. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard because you naturally want to just stop pedaling. Like as soon as you finish your 15 seconds, like yeah. you would at the top of Dinosaur Ridge, and then you can't. If you stop, <laughs> right. stop pedaling, then you've messed up the trainer and you have to like get out, get off and unplug it and all that stuff. So it's um, I think this... 15 second block is really challenging yeah it is really challenging and i like it um because it's also in my opinion a lot more like race-like right because you would surge past somebody yeah, you're and you surging or attacking pedaling. yeah and then you settle into kind of that ftp you exactly know, sustainable you're still gonna power. go hard yeah and then you go hard again and then you settle in hard again um so it's a really great way to get these specific intervals on the trainer absolutely yeah um so going back, um, in the so if you're using erg mode, we have these 130 percent, 160 percent, 190 percent of your FTP number um, that may or may not line up exactly with your known wattages that we figured in the testing, um, and that therein lies sort of one of the issues I have with training off of a percentage of FTP. In yeah, but erg let's mode. talk about this because what jumped out at me um, is that. My one minute power from this test was 372. Mm-hmm. Um, for the in class workout, I'll be doing instead of 372 for 15 seconds, I'll be doing 406 watch, watts for 15 seconds because that's 190%. Right. And so you look at that at first, like, oh, that's pretty different. That's uh, 34 watts more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, it's very doable for me because number one, I know from previous years that when I'm in really good shape, my one minute power actually does test out to be like low 400s. Mm-hmm. So I know I can hold this for 15 seconds. Right. And in a way, I feel like it's going to help me get in that kind of shape again. Right. I'm going to push myself to do the watts I know I'm capable of, of doing. Right. Exactly. So it's so we have to, using erg mode, you have to input one's FTP number, which in our, we equate that to our 64 minute power. And then it takes that percentage to give you the resistance. Um, so you being on the lower end of the fatigue rate scale, meaning you're positioned more as an endurance athlete rather than like a sprint athlete at this point when you tested, um, that low fatigue rate, when you back it out and take 130% of your 214 watt FTP in the system, it calculates 278 
watts, which actually is exactly, ironically, I didn't pick this on purpose, but it is exactly what your four-minute power mm, was. So mm -hmm. at that percentage, it actually lines up perfectly. But because you have a lower fatigue rate, as we start doing higher percentages, that's where the disconnect kind of happens because um, with the lower fatigue rate, you um, aren't, it means you're not as powerful relatively at the top end. So when we start getting basically closer and closer to your top end, two minute power, one minute power, there's a greater difference of what's being asked of you to do versus someone who had maybe like an 8% fatigue rate might actually be inverted, meaning they tested really well at their one minute power. Right, right. So 190% of their calculated FTP might actually be a little under possibly or, or right at their uh, one minute power. And then their four-minute power intervals that they'd be doing um, would possibly be a little lower. So this works out, in my opinion, just fine because what it's saying is someone with a low fatigue rate actually is weaker or needs to improve the top end. And so therefore, it's going to challenge you more on mm -hmm. the top end. Someone who has the higher fatigue rate means that their endurance is lacking they already have a solid top end. They need to improve the lower end. Right. So it kind of focuses more on improving the lower end and keeps you from going too hard um, on the high end stuff. Exactly. So they're kind of inverted that way. So I think it's just an interesting thing. Now, all this being said, it's a lot of numbers and maybe your head's swirling or we're not making sense. I don't know. But um, <laughs> don't get like overly absorbed into this. Um, and just all these numbers, I mean, when we're talking about you know, your two-minute power being estimated at 325 and 160% of your FTP is 342. I mean, yes, that is a 18-watt difference. But for 30 seconds going really hard, 18 watts is not a big No, difference. it's not a big deal at all. It, it's kind of the difference of whether or not I start really hard for five seconds or I started, like, a little less right. strong right. for the, those five seconds. Yeah, and the other thing to keep in mind is in NERG mode, it's like... It's not an exact, it's not going to plug, make you pedal exactly 342 watts. It's going to have like a range mm -hmm. above and mm -hmm. below that, depending on your cadence and your gear and all that kind of stuff. So it's all going to work out very close. You're going to hit target and train the anaerobic power energy system, regardless of the watts. And the other last bit, and we talked about this prior to starting the show here, is like when you're doing these intervals, they're so short and so hard, you you can't really keep an eye on the power that you're doing for 15 seconds in these intervals or 30 seconds because you're going hard. Yeah. Especially outside, you can't really look down and because you're almost sprinting, right, to hit these 15-second intervals. And so if you're off above or below a little bit, it's not It's not a big that deal. critical. Yeah, and the intervals are so short that you don't have time to kind of like massage the numbers on your screen right right to get the exact number because up to this point we've been able to do that i mean even our two minute vo2s which are relatively short is still enough time to like start a little less bump it up maybe you go a little too high you can kind of like back it off and you can hit exactly the average power you want mm -hmm. in these you you're never gonna hit the exact average no and power. you have to be okay with that yeah um so all of this being said um that's kind of what we're looking at. Oh, I did want to pull out a, a 7% example of fatigue rate because I thought it was sort of interesting. Um, so there's one rider on our WeDevo team. He and I have very similar one-minute um, and four-minute powers, although relatively speaking, my four-minute is better than his, meaning it gives me like a 6% fatigue rate versus him being a 7% uh, okay. fatigue rate. So... Um, just to give an example, so our one-minute power, mine was 504, his was 502, essentially the same thing. Ah. Our four-minute power, mine was a little better, 378 versus his 361, but very close, okay? But there you can see that that's enough of a difference that it came, came very close to a 1% difference in fatigue rate, mine being 1% lower. So that calculated out my 64-minute power to be 292, his 64-minute power to be 270, mm, okay, which okay. makes sense. He, he could keep up with me, if not beat me, in a one-minute or less effort. Um, but if we're going to do something for an hour, I'm going to beat him um, at this point. It probably <laughs> won't stay that way for a whole lot longer. 
So when we then put these into erg mode, um, his, my 6% fatigue rate, his 7% fatigue rate, 130% of my 64 minute power gets me 379 watts compared to 378 watts at what I tested my four minute power. So essentially the same thing, one watt difference. His four minute power was 361. His 130% of his 64 minute power is 351. Yeah, that's a that's a good difference. Yeah, right so there. it's 10 watts lower. But again, when he's doing the intervals, it's very little difference. Um, but it just shows that he's a little lower. Then we go to the two minute one. His two minute power with that 7% fatigue rate actually lands spot on to his mm, calculated, exactly. yeah, 432 watts uh, is his two minute power, 160% of his 260. 70 watts at 64 minute powers, a lot of numbers, hits the same 432 uh, number, so it's spot on. And then when we go to one minute power, remember ours were basically the same, mine was 504, his was 502, but because my lower fatigue rate netted me a little higher 64 minute power, my 190% 15 second intervals will be asking me to do 554 watts, which is quite a bit, 50 watts more, but I need help on that. So I'm, I'll attack those and get do that extra work where he will um, come uh, just a little bit over that. So his one minute power of 502 calculated then 190% uh, of his 270 watts is 513. Right. And getting him very close. It's just, a, you know, 10 watts, 11 watts more. So um, that hopefully that paints a picture. I mean, it's we're spouting out a lot of numbers. Well, I but. think what's interesting about it is um, f comparing how this workout's going to play out in the in the facility in the in the gym mm -hmm. versus like the summer we'll do this workout over at our favorite little road dinosaur ridge, which is yeah. close off to cars, and um, he's going to be right with you for those fifteen second intervals. Well, he'll be with me for all all right. Yeah, well, for sure. I was going to get to that too. Like, yeah. it's not going to make a difference in kind of real life training. Right. But to use the system, to use a smart trainer, and to use percentages, that's how it'll play out. Yeah, yeah. So basically, we're we're recommending use erg mode um, and set those your FTP percentages at one hundred thirty percent for the one minute, four minute power intervals, mm -hmm. um, one hundred sixty percent for the. Uh, 30 second two minute power intervals and 190 percent for the 15 second one minute power intervals right yeah um so lots of good stuff to do so this is all if you are following our program exactly it's all in the training peaks workout it just uploads to your smart trainer and off you go on erg and you're good um so and these are fun workouts so we've kind of touched on this already but we're sticking with the same um interval structure that I like, which is taking our max power that we're training that correlates to the energy system mm -hmm. and breaking it into four intervals. So again, our one minute power intervals, we always start with the highest power output of the workout first. Um, so our one minute power intervals are four by 15 second mm -hmm. intervals, and that's going to be at that one minute power if you're doing these outside or 190% of your FTP or 64 minute power if you're doing that inside. Um, as one set and then like we alluded to earlier if we're doing these indoors if you're doing these outdoors you turn around you come back down the hill and you repeat you get more or less a full recovery because they're these are more difficult outside yeah, for sure so you need that full recovery inside although like we've mentioned we keep the recovery limited to 50 percent of the work interval so in this case 95 percent it'll go drop down to 95 percent of FTP for the recovery, mm -hmm. um, and you'll go along. So then after that set, so this interval set is essentially four minutes long because mm -hmm. you're going to go, actually it's a little less than four minutes long. So it's um, 15 seconds super hard, then 45 seconds moderately hard, 15 seconds really hard, 45 seconds moderately hard, and so on. So we get the four uh, really hard 190% FTP intervals, 15 seconds. Then you get a little extra recovery. Before the second set, that one targets our two-minute power. Same exact structure, four times 30 seconds at your two-minute power outside or 160% of FTP inside. Um, and the recovery is half of that, which is 80% of your FTP. So definitely a moderate um, level. But again, it's not like a full sit there, soft pedal recovery. Um, 
And so that then is a, basically an eight-minute interval, a little shy. Yeah, so the, the partial recovery at 80% is for 90 seconds. Correct. Okay. Yeah, because it's a one to three work to recovery ratio in general. So 30 seconds of work, 90 seconds of, right. quote, recovery at 80%. Which we model that outside, too. So if we yeah. we go really hard for 30 seconds to that tree, catch your breath for like five or 10 seconds as you circle back around, and then you just go slowly down and circle back. It's, it's about 90 seconds when we start that timer right. again to go, yeah. to go hard. Yeah, and if you do these kind of a couple times a week, you figure out Which exactly, yeah. like... Okay, I'm going to go to that point. I know I can coast down, turn around, mm-hmm. and you can hit it almost exactly um, if you have a, the right area. Um, all right, so then after that, recover, and then we target four-minute power. So these are four times one-minute intervals with uh, three-minute, quote, recoveries. These are done at 130% for the one minute um, to get us around that four-minute power. And then the recoveries are done at 65% of FTP. So it is very recovery, but again, it's not sit there and chill. You still have to kind of focus, Mm -hmm. and you're doing kind of aerobic effort to recover um, in between. So that's that's the the structure of that. So you get three sets of of interval work. The sets get longer, slightly less powerful as you go, but they start very powerful, Mm -hmm. powerful, and slightly less powerful. Um, as you go, um, and they're yeah, they're I think they're fun because you're engaged the whole block of mm-hmm. the intervals, like each set of intervals, you're engaged from beginning to end. The first one is quite difficult. Like you're really glad when that timer's done for that block of four <laughs> by fifteen and those, you know, still fairly hard recoveries, and then you get to recover and regroup, and then do it again and do it again, and it. It just keeps you really engaged. Yeah, and if you, it, when we go outside to do these, um, like from our house, we usually do, I, what I do is like a 30-minute a warm-up over to that road that mm-hmm. we do the hard intervals on. Yep. So any of y'all out there listening that are doing the, this workout outside, you, you need about 30 minutes to get warmed up and throw in some harder efforts there, like climb up a hard climb or um, just kind of like nail it for a couple minutes because you have to be ready to crank out 190% of your power. Yeah, and if you're just easily or nor- like normally riding over as a warm-up and doing that, it's a real shock. It yeah, feels real really shock. hard. Yeah, it just, feels way harder than it should. Yeah, just do a couple warm-ups or like we, I know that I'm heading over to this hill called Dinosaur Ridge. If I didn't get in a hard enough effort on the way there, I'll just like kind of go hard-ish up that hill one time before mm-hmm. I start my intervals. That's a good way to do it too, yeah. Yeah, I got to feel like my heart rate needs to be up to like 165 or so to be ready for these. Yeah, so get yourself thoroughly warmed up. And we do that, of course, in the trainer workouts. Um, uh, it's all built in there, too. So, so. how are we going to progress in the, yeah, inside the Yeah, good question. These? So the last piece is progress- progressing. So in our program this year, we'll actually do three of these workouts. Okay. We'll do the Tuesday and Thursday of the coming week, and then we'll do the Tuesday of the next week. Okay. And then actually the Thursday, we're going to do another test. Awesome. To set us up for That'd the next great. for race prep block. So we'll get three shots at these. Um, each one, um, so in the past, we've either lengthened intervals or in the VO2s, we shorten the recoveries, you know, to make progressions. The way we progress these is we're going to add an additional interval to mm. each of the sets. Um, so the first set will be exactly like I just described, the four by, you know, whatever the duration. Um, the Thursday workout, the second one will be five times 15 seconds, uh, five times 30 seconds, five times 60 seconds with the appropriate recoveries in between. And then when you come back the, the Tuesday of the second week, um, it'll be six okay. times. So the, the interval quantity grows. Uh, obviously, there it's easy to recognize that the, the workload increases as we go. Um, so it's a little bit opposite of VO2 that we're wrapping up now where we kept the interval quantity the exact same, so mm-hmm. the workload was the same, but by shortening recoveries, oh, we yeah. just spent more time in VO2, where here we just want to get more reps at anaerobic power Yep. because there's so much recovery in well, there. I think it's really doable. Like In the summertime, I, I'm like often doing like eight times each of these. So Yeah, and that's the super challenging. So when you get into race prep, we do, yeah, we make things usually because you're more fit after base mm-hmm. training. The interval workouts are a little even more demanding, but um, so that'll be the progression. It'll go four by the first set, then five reps of each in the second day, mm-hmm. um, and six by each 
interval um, in the third. All right, sounds good. Yeah, so it's really good. Um, cool. Anything else? Um, oh, weekends. So these are, again, continuing, like, high-intensity training, so it's best to keep the volume overall throughout the week lower, meaning mm -hmm. your long rides shouldn't be terribly long. Um, you know, maybe throw one in there. Um, it's also group ride season, uh, meaning you can do these Tuesday, Thursday hard interval sessions, recover Friday, and then go smash yourself and get some unstructured intensity in a group ride or a race, depending on where you live. Some, I mean, in Arizona and California and places like that, they're already racing road yeah. races and mountain bike races and stuff. So um, that can work as well. Um, so maybe like one medium distance ride that's got some intensity or one moderately long ride, but don't pile on, don't get to the weekend thinking I'm going to just ride my face off and get, you know, all these miles in because you got to come back and go hard again yeah, on the trainer. Yeah. So it's really a couple more weeks of that. And then we'll get kind of a recovery week that can be a mixture of rest and some longer rides if you just can't contain yourself. Um, <laughs> And then we'll get into race prep, which will involve long rides and some intervals and get back to more balanced training, I guess, as opposed gotcha. to so much of an intensity focus. Um, yeah, and the, in, in the gym, we're continuing what we've been doing for the last couple of weeks. It's, it's fun. It's challenging. It's tough. We're, 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 going, <coughs> we're going kind of um, heavy on each of the lifts, on back squats and deadlifts, for f several reps at least. Um, so we're still tapping into that really high, I think getting up to some reps at like 90, 90. Yeah. And I think we retest soon. Reps. So we're, we're, we're keeping like our foot, our feet in that like peak, peak strength pond and trying not to lose that high end strength yet. Um, and we have added in more of the like plyometric sets, the high power sets. So it's, it's tough. It's but, the I final mean, two for weeks. For sure. I'm, I'm. I'm pretty tired from it, but um, we just have a couple more weeks to yeah. hang in there before we get a rest. And that, again, compounds why we need to not ride as much total, you know, the volume. Yeah. Because there are a few reps that's some pretty heavy loads. Um, and then, yeah, the like our little power Tabata sets are For sure. quite long, quite unenjoyably long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but we'll get there, and we'll be stronger, and then we'll be ready for our recovery week, so... Um, I think that's kind of it. Yeah, that was that was good. I'm I'm actually really looking forward to the, the change of the intervals and like we've yeah. said a few times, it's like our favorite. It's actually my like most favorite outdoor session. Too, yeah, so. I really like these. Yeah, they're just great. And hopefully you guys will try them and you'll see the. How yeah, great send they are. an email in. Let us know how it's going. Um, share your stories. Yeah, exactly. And then next week we're gonna come back and talk about the next big phase of training, kind of macro phase macro cycle uh, where we're ending base here soon and getting into race prep and that's where um you know things just get more specific to whatever the event is that you are training for whether it's mountain biking or road biking or triathlon or what distance of biking gravel riding you know whatever um and uh that so we got we'll talk a lot about kind okay. of what the future holds for yeah, us. you've been working on some custom training plans for some clients, haven't you? Yeah, I've been getting a lot of interest because a lot of people that were following one of our base builder plans online are like coming to the end. Yeah. Um, as similar like we are, and they're like, okay, I've got X, Y, and Z races that I want to do. You know, what can we do? And we do have stock race prep plans um, available on our website, um, and then uh, also these custom plans. Um, that we can tailor specifically for the individual and their exact racing and stuff. So I'll put some links in the show notes, but we'll talk a lot about that sort of okay. stuff coming up in the next next week. Um, that's where we're at. So cool. I think that covers it. We're into the final push of Base Builder. Final push. Final push. All right. Well, have a... Yeah, thanks for listening. Good weekend, and um, good luck next week with those anaerobic power intervals. All right. Talk to you soon.